the Charlton Daily. A Scotland Euro 2020 podcast by Hockey the Hack. Hello there and welcome to episode one of the Tartan Daily. I'm Hodgie the Hack and I've decided Scotland are at the Euros. I'm doing a podcast about it. And hopefully some people watch, get, come along and enjoy. And even better than that, I'm a commentator that's no working during the Euros, but I have two people with me who certainly are working during the Euros. I have with me to my left... Andy Barge, who's going to be covering the Scotland-England game for TalkSport, and also does, as you can see by his handle there, the Hamden Roar podcast. How are you doing, Andy? Uh, very excited. Uh, uh, there's a, I can't just say I'm doing fine or I'm doing well. I'm, I'm just very excited all the time. I know, mate. I think the whole of Scotland does. Like, we're, we're, we're sort of, I don't know, we're maybe in that stage between reverie and excitement, and then obviously the, the impending pain and doom lies ahead, but we're still <laughs> at that point where, where that's not a factor yet. And then we also have the man just below me here on the stream, whose voice has become synonymous, I would say, with Scottish football over the last decade or so, particularly when the, the action was on BT Sport. It's Rory Hamilton. Rory, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing, mate? Uh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, I am equally excited, and it just seems to be growing every day. You know, like that excitement is just building, and it's just—I I, was—I was thinking it last night. I was like, "Is this what every country feels every two years?" But it's probably not because when it's been twenty-three years, you've just got that build-up of excitement yeah. over that entire time, and it's just exploding right now in Scotland. Yeah, that's precisely it. And now people are watching, so if you want to get in touch, please do so with some comments. Say hello, let us know you're there. And if you have questions for any of the guys, then let me know. Now we're going to cover a few things today. With these podcasts, you always want to keep it kind of loose and ready, but we we do have an intention of covering a bit about the Scotland squad, a bit about these guys, the work they'll be doing, their buzz for the Euros, my buzz for the Euros. And then we'll also maybe just begin to cast a bit of an eye on the opposition. But I'm going to be doing these every day, so I need to keep some topics up my sleeve, short as it is, for later episodes. But lads, Scotland are at the Euros. Now, let's kick off with, I mean, what are your memories of Scotland growing up? So I'll start off by telling you a bit about mine. I remember sitting uh, with my cousin Stevie, who sadly is no longer with us, which which makes this tournament quite a kind of emotional thing for me. Uh, and we were, we, we when the Scotland Euro 96 games were on, I was just a wee boy and we had a foosball table, right? And it had four legs on it. But that actually made it a kind of makeshift goal that <laughs> he could like kick in, you know, one of those wee soft footballs that's got the, the kind of puff stuff inside of it yeah. so that it doesn't break anything. And he was just kicking that at me, like as we were watching us play against Holland, play against um, Switzerland and the likes. Uh, the England game, there was no, there was no nonsense. Like I was, I was told in no uncertain terms that we're not going to have any nonsense foosball. This is serious <laughs> business, um, and I, I don't remember. Like, you know that way you can remember a feeling rather than what you see. Yeah, and I can just remember the despondency after McAllister missed the penalty, and then and, and like disbelief when Gaza went up and scored that goal. You know, uh, and, and if, that, if that penalty went in, we would have won that game. Oh, we were, absolutely. We were all over them. I, I watched it. I watched it back. They did a rerun in the Beeb. Um, was it maybe a year ago or something? And I watched it back. And do you, do you know the thing that struck me, Rory, was how different is football now? 
Like, have you ever watched that game back? It's I've not crazy. actually. No, no I, I wouldn't put myself through the pain of that game again. <laughs> I'd see when you know it's coming, it's not quite as bad. Like, I think I think you're kind of inoculated before you go in. But that's I'm my. Sure there's a term for people that get a kick out of that sort of thing. Uh, well, I granted. <laughs> um, don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole, mind you. Now, the the other factor here is. Um, like that, so that's one. That's my my Euros memories of Scotland. The other one was France '98, and I remember greeting when we get beat by Brazil. Like I just couldn't handle it. But I was a wee guy, but I was by that point I was old enough that I really cared about football. Like that that two years made a massive difference. But at that point, you just thought this happens all the time. I'll have more of these to enjoy. You know what I mean? And here I am, poorly shaven at 32, with my hair all over the gaff and. I like this is the this is the next one we get to look forward to. But that's that's basically my last of memories of watching Scotland at a major tournament. What about yourselves? Start off with you, maybe Andy. I'm a bit younger, um, which I, I take great pleasure in reminding you of. Um, <laughs> so I think '98, similar to what you were saying there about remembering a feeling. They say mm-hmm. exactly the same with me at '98. I was four, just about to turn five. And I remember a busy living room. I had my face painted, but I can re- recollect nothing about the game. The can't remember Scotland's penalty or uh, the own goal. Nothing. I just remember a busy living room and mm-hmm. there being a, a wave of excitement. Uh, my first, uh, I, I remember distinctly watching the playoff against Holland. Uh, mm-hmm. I would have been nine, maybe ten at that point. Watched that with my, my pal Rory around at his house. Um, plays for Kilmarnock now, actually, Rory McKenzie. Um, watched that uh, over at his, um, and I remember that very, very clearly. Um, and my when I started really to, I can remember the votes era. Uh, Walter Smith came in, but I think the when we were trying to qualify for Euro two thousand and eight, mm-hmm. that that is really when it it took off for me. And that, I can remember I've got the DVD review of that campaign. That's how big it was. How close we came. We brought out a DVD about it, uh, and I've watched that loads of times and yeah, I can remember everything very, very clearly. Um, my dad used to take me to friendlies. I've seen us get pumped off Hungary, Switzerland. <laughs> like, I was just crap games at Hamden uh, in the dark throughout the, the early noughties. I was there for most of them. Um, but the, the the moment it started to take off for me was was the 2008 campaign. And uh, before that, I can remember the, the Holland playoff very, very clearly. Aye, uh, that's, I mean, that goal in the, the first leg, like, mm. it, it felt like that was the beginning. Of, like, I can remember thinking at that point, we've got a great young team now. Like, <laughs> we're going to go on and do great things with these guys. Um, and obviously, this is the first time we've actually managed to get there. And let's be honest, we kind of got there through a bit of a back door. It was yeah. Alex McLeish in the Nations League that we, we still have to thank for, for even getting to the point where we, we had a playoff to play in. Yeah. But Rory, you're a wee bit older than us, so you've maybe got a few... Thanks. you get any more tournaments you get? Sorry, man. Um, you get any more tournaments you can call upon, like, uh, in terms of your memories? And by the way, Andy, I'm quite interested in the parallel with, like, how at a certain age, it's a feeling you remember, and then it's, like, a more kind of visual mm-hmm. thing. Was it yeah. similar for you, Rory? Because I'm just thinking of the kind of age gap with, like, maybe the, the 90s. Um, yeah, the 90s yeah totally, because... Because, well, just doing rough calculations, I've got five years on you and another five on Andy. So all of that just shifts slightly <laughs> along the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so Andy's France 98 becomes my Italia 90. Uh, and, and, and just sort of not quite memories. Like, yeah. I knew, I knew the games were on. I, I watched them, but didn't really quite understand. I'd have been... 
I'd have been six at the time. Uh, so you know, you're you're just at school. You're you're getting into kicking a ball, but you don't maybe really understand the professional game. Mm. So '92 is really the first one that I remember uh, really getting excited about because by then you're playing like boys' club football, mm-hmm. um, and and so that's all, that's all you're talking about with your mates. I remember the Dutch game. Uh, I think was our opening game, and going round to my mate's house uh, to watch it up in Cardiff, guy Gordon Pace, mm-hmm. and uh, he just he just got uh, it was like a, a little um, boxing punch bag, and uh, and we were watching the opening titles, <laughs> and basically when they ran the opening titles of the last Euros, you know the big moments and things, as Van Basten hit that volley <laughs> against USSR. You know, it's one of the greatest goals of all time. He punched the punch bag and it hit me right in the face. And I just thought, <laughs> we've got no chance against these boys. Like, if they've got guys like that in their yeah. team, and, and then you saw like Hula and Rijkaard, and I was like, no, no this, this is, <laughs> we're not man. at this level. But, you know, there's only eight teams at that tournament. It's, it's so different. And then, so 94, uh, 94 is probably at the, the real height of your like childish football fever. Yeah, uh, that was like to me. That was that's probably my uh, mastermind subject uh, of choice. It's like '94 <laughs> World Cup because I was just so into it. You, you know, and you watch every game, you study every team, and so on. '96, um, you're probably getting really into that. You know, obviously '94 Scotland weren't there, but I, re- I remember '96 being more nervous than excited. I think. I think knowing ah, that the England game was on the horizon. Is- Mm. Yeah, yeah, you, you'd reached the stage where uh, where you realised what being a Scotland fan was. It wasn't all just about excitement. Um, <laughs> ninety eight, brilliant. Uh, actually loved it. I think I think by then I'd maybe just softened all my expectations. So so it was like, that felt, and particularly having the opening game, nice. it's so exciting just to be a part of that. I think I think totally. that I found very special. And of course, you get the absolute sickener with the Morocco game. Um, but like Andy, you know, I think my the height of my being a fan uh, came in that qualification for for two thousand and eight, and that was they were the first group game or qualification group games that I went to. Um, we we travelled out to the two thousand and six World Cup in my old beaten up Fiesta that had about a hundred thousand really? miles on the clock, and there were all <laughs> sorts of stuff. It got impounded in Munich when we were in Prague and came back to an empty car space. <laughs> All this kind of thing, and, uh, and then so yeah, the first first away games that we did were Lithuania when we won two nil, and then yeah. uh, France and Italy in, in that group, which was, I mean, when you when you're winning in in Paris, you, you're like, oh come on, I mean, ten years is far too long for Scotland not to be a major tournament. Surely it's coming along soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just on that note, um, Ollie Middleton's got in touch uh, asking a question. Um, he's saying, any players who didn't get a chance to play a major tournament over the past 20 years you'd want in the squad? And he says, McFadden for me all day. Now, you mentioned that. Now, I was um, I was doing a shift, uh, a, a commentary shift recently where I was doing um, EFL down in, down in London. And oh, I was surrounded like entirely by English guys, right? And like the subject of like favourite footballers ever came up. And like, what about you, Hodgie? And I was like, James McFadden, right? And people were like, what? Right? <laughs> just because just he scored a couple of good goals for Scotland. And I was like, no, 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 no. James McFadden is the embodiment of 
like the the line between genius and sort of uh, like he, he's right in that middle space. So like, in one parallel universe, James McFadden is Lionel Messi, and in another parallel universe, he's playing for like Bead Juniors or something. You know, what I mean, like he's he's just on that in that bit right in the middle where he's capable of these amazing sort of feats of uh fait accompli and then yeah like obviously other elements of his game mean that he sometimes especially in club level was was often kind of drifting in the periphery of games but i i just think someone that sits right in that sweet spot and gave me i should say like and again this comes down to like age and, and growing up just so many memories of like wow you know like yeah and Hodge, mcfadden's goal against france is always going to be the one that sticks out, even ahead of the Holland playoff game. There's the one, in fact, one of my Macedonia as well. Like that was some. Good. But one, one of my favourite Scotland games of all time was when we beat Ukraine three-one. I cannot mm -hmm. find a fault in that game. Phenomenal, and McFadden's sealer in that with maybe about 15, 20 minutes to go when we weren't exactly under the cost, but the game was still in the balance. Two-one against Ukraine, who could very easily peg us back with another goal. And McFadden mm -hmm. sealed it with that uh, driven finish in at the near post, uh, and that that was an absolutely perfect day because, and I made this point in another podcast recently. That was the game I think where we expected it to to fall apart. It, it, all, it had been going too well, and obviously it did fall apart in the last two games. But it had been going too well, and at some point we knew we're going to get caught out here. And Ukraine coming to Hamden, who had been in the quarter final of the World Cup a year ago. Um, I mean, Rebrov, Chevchenko, Timoshuk. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, and we thought, okay, we've had a good run, but this is maybe where we come unstuck today against a really good team. And then we were 2 0 up after 10 minutes. I mean, Lee McCullough's goal. McCullough's goal in that one. That, favorite goal. Right and it was oh. unbelievable, that goal. Yeah. And, McF and McFadden, because um, he, he scored in three consecutive games, McFadden. He scored against France. Lith he scored a screamer against Lithuania. And he scored against uh, Ukraine as well. And he was just. He was the boy during that campaign. I, I, I love players like that, that no matter how they're performing at, at club level, they will turn up for Scotland. That, no, I, would, that's it. I would probably include Sean Maloney in that category as well. And okay. I would also currently probably include Ryan Christie in it. That's that, that, that's an interesting parallel to draw. And and thanks for bringing it forward. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one more thing just about Faddy. And like the, I think the key thing for me is when I look back at those memories, right, now we're talking about a Scotland team that I watched draw to each in the Faroe Islands and stuff like that, right? So you're going into games we like, let's be honest, for the most part, and, and barring that one campaign that you guys have both highlighted, for the most part it was like a sense of dread. But Faddy was the one that gave you hope. Like he was the one in the, that, that could change the game and you always thought as long as McFadden's on the pitch, something can happen, we can score a goal. And, and, that's well, and you brought up that Macedonia goal as well. Oh, what is, a goal, man. That that's one of my favourite goals in 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 football. It's just Aye. and there's all there's only a handful of players that could have scored a goal like that. Yeah, that's sure. that's our side of Iron moment. Although that's probably too too early for you boys in '94. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've seen the goal you speak of, but um, yeah. like I, what I would say is it's the see the wee faint he does that you don't notice until you watch the replay mm -hmm. from or well it's kind of hard to, to to sort of clock it but if you watch there's a shot of it where it's like it's it might be behind the goal or to the side of the goal there's a camera on him and you can actually see like the the bit of body language that he does and what he does with his face and ah uh, 
just uh, I, it's, it's, it's a feat of genius. And I wish I wish that goal meant something more than just mm. a moment. It deserved it. But it's football not about moments, Andy. Oh, well, we're getting deep. Uh, oh, we're getting philosophical. This is yeah. great. Uh, as a Scotland fan, probably, yeah, it is, because that's all we've had to grasp onto. Um, and I know I'm wearing a Man United shirt, and I'm not a Man U fan, but the like fans of successful clubs like that, they, they're, like, for example, when, when Roy Keane and Dwight York scored against Juventus in 99, they went on to win the trophy. When Makeda scored that goal in his debut against Villa about 10 years ago, they went on to win the Premier League after that last-minute goal. So these moments in isolation, which triggered unbelievable scenes, then continued to go on to a, a greater meaning and a, and a moment of a, an, an achievement. Whereas our Griffiths moment, and amazing as it was in isolation, we didn't reach the playoffs. If we'd stopped Harry Kane from scoring or if we'd held out in Slovenia, we would have made it. And we could look back at that Griffiths moment and say that really was the catalyst for something, even though we still look back and value it as the most adrenaline-feeling moment of most of our lives. It was, um, we we like, blew that group big time. Yeah, uh, that, that, was, that was probably the one, you know, even, even you look at the sort of 2008 qualification, I think that was actually the group that, that we blew. More than, because... more than the one with Poland and Ireland. That's a good point, well, actually. Well, see, to be fair, there's, there, there have been a few, but like, it, there's only been a couple of instances, I would say, where the draw has been even semi-kind to us, and, and those those were two. I think, Rory, I yeah. think you're right, because the World Cup is harder to reach than the, yeah, much than harder. the Euros. Yeah, yeah, and it felt like a World Cup was within our grasp um, to, re well, to reach the playoffs anyway, because we did the hard bit against Slovakia with the last-minute own goal. Uh, mm -hmm. When Chris Martin was involved, we were the masters of the last minute goals in, in that yeah <laughs> that qualification campaign. Yeah, yeah. I mean th that's the thing. But we've obviously there's been lots of qualification campaigns. Uh, this one ended in the most dramatic of fashion. Scotland's first ever penalty shootout, and I did a wee video. Um, it was the first ever thing I did live on Twitter, and now I've become just like a, a junkie for doing this live streaming stuff. But yeah, like I, I did a video because I just needed to release. Because what happened was we were watching, it was my wee, my, my sister and our man's anniversary. So we were watching the Waynes. And in the first half, I was like watching it in, in my mum and dad's living room, having to dampen like the sounds that I was making. <laughs> and then I remembered Sky were showing it free to air on like one of the main sort of Sky channels. So I then went across to my wee sister's house to watch the second half and extra time and, and what have you. And obviously that allowed me to shout expletives and do as you do. But at full time, I had nobody to talk to or, or, or celebrate with. So I was like, oh, do you know what? I'll just talk to the internet. And I remember saying during that, like, uh, the one thing that we can always hold over England, or at least for now, is, uh, I mean, we're better at penalties than you guys. So <laughs> ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but, oh, who, who would have thought that that was our, our true calling? My penalty masters. <laughs> Mm. Exactly. <laughs> I no, I think, but so during that game, like let, let's look at that Serbia game for a wee minute because describe your emotions. Because for eighty-five to eighty-seven minutes of that game, we absolutely bossed it, like genuinely like, all over it. And then Scott McTominay, who'd done really well as the makeshift centre back, falls asleep at a set piece, and then we concede. And then after that, it's like through the cracks in the fingers time, like. Okay. 
that that extra time period. And do you know who the the, the one guy that I thought like should, well, Dykes obviously um you, you would point to, but for me Declan Gallagher that night was outstanding. Like and let's not being unfair to Declan Gallagher, like the. He's he's playing at a level of football where international football is maybe like all the higher echelons of it. Maybe he's, he's stretching himself, he's stretching his levels and his abilities to, to to perform at that level. And that night he stood up and he stands tall, and he, he was counted like he was oh, yeah. so so good. And and for me, that's why we'll, we'll talk about the construction of the defence in, in in a wee bit. But he his name's right in the frame for me because he. Was was so good that night in such a pivotal game, but emotionally he, was, he, was, he got a book. He got an early booking as well, a totally unjustified one, yeah. uh, with with only about twenty or thirty minutes played. He had to tread carefully for the rest of the game. He didn't put a foot wrong. No, he was brilliant. But emotionally, what was that like for you, lads? Because I, I went through the emotional ringer that night. I, I I think it was um, I think it was just purely nerves the, the entire time. It was it was you obviously get your moment. Uh, when when Christie scores and that's your elation, but I, the entire time I was just on the edge of my seat. Just mm-hmm. you want it to end yeah. <laughs> to put you out of this this experience, but that's what watching football is all about. That it takes your emotions to extreme levels, whatever the emotion is, be it yep. joy, be it despair, be it nerves. That you know, you go, you go past, you take it to eleven, sort of thing. That, that's um, it, and, and it that, definitely gets amplified when it's your country, doesn't it? Like it gets amplified, I think. Because mm-hmm. someone asked me on on one of my channels, like, are you club or country first? And I'm I'm an Norwich City fan, so um, through working for the club and such, like, I've become a Norwich fan, and I love Norwich to bits. They they will always be the team that that, that I love now. But my country's my country, you know. Like and it's, I've always had a higher level of emotional engagement, other than maybe when club teams are playing in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I always think my my level of engagement has been so much more. It's almost like you're more kind of present in the moment. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. When you're watching yeah. Scotland, and that's I, that's the thing for me. I, think I don't it, know how Andy. Oh, sorry, Andy feels. He's, sorry, um, it'll be interesting to see how Andy feels because he's. He's at the the sort of start starting point of his career, and I've found that over over the time that I've been in the business, because I was I was an assistant producer for for years before getting into commentary. And that's a really any, helpful grounding, man. Like actually, yeah. It's, well, it, it's so handy to understand, particularly just what's going on at an OB yeah. um, at a live game to understand what everyone is doing. So when you're an assistant producer, I was the guy that was, you know, like picking out the replays to put out. So you know the the lengths that people are having to go to and the trucks, and those trucks are a stressful environment. There's folks shouting everywhere and you've got to be really switched on and level-headed to make sure that you can make the right space. as well. Like, I, I can't imagine, yeah. like, in your sort of post And it's all dark. Aye, you've aye. just got screens and lights and buttons and those buttons are all live. And if you press the wrong one, it just puts like a clock up instead of a replay and you're like, oh yeah. no. <laughs> uh, thankfully I never did that. Um, but uh, yeah, I've found that, that over time and quite quickly, I 
I, I lost all form of, of club allegiance because mm. I was always working at it. And so I always, um, it was the Liechtenstein home game uh, when Stephen McManus scored in the, the last 97th minute. seventh minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I worked, so, so I'd just gone freelance and I'd just got a little in at Sky uh, and they'd offered me a gig doing stats on that game so you're sitting with a computer and when scotland had possession you pressed like a and when macedonia had possession you pressed r and when there was a corner you hit another thing and all this kind of thing because i thought i'd gone to all the scotland games up until then but i thought look i've, I've got to take this shift I've, you know i need to start getting the bank account going in the, the right direction joys of freelance uh, work mate. I, well exactly and i thought look come on Liechtenstein at home <laughs> if there's a game to miss in this oh, campaign, it's this one. And obviously we know what happened. And I was just like, I was watching it going, my mates are in the crowd there, going mm. absolutely, you know, limbs everywhere. And I missed that moment because I'm sitting, hitting a keyboard. And I said at that moment, you know, Scotland's the team that I support. You have to keep that to make sure you remain a fan because otherwise you just get, you get so, so caught up in it being your profession that you lose, I've lost those moments for, for club games. Yeah. So that's fine, but you have to keep, you got to remind yourself that first and foremost, you're a football fan. You're in this because you love the game so much. So you, you got to keep something for yourself. And, and for me, it's, it's Scotland. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I totally echo that. And it's where, like, obviously, I mean, for you guys, congratulations to you both. It's amazing that you are both working in, on the Euros. Uh, and it's it's always nice to see, I, I think, like other Scottish commentators doing going on and doing well, you know, and, and getting those getting those plum gigs, especially like Rory, I mean, look, without doing too much brown nosing here, like I, I, I thought when you were doing the BT Sports stuff, it was it was one of those things where this new voice emerged to me that I hadn't heard before, and immediately you commanded a bit of gravitas and authority, and that's that's the that, that for me is the is the key thing. If someone comes across that they've got that and they're not forcing it down your throat. I always think that's one of the, the key aspects of being a good commentator, as well as obviously not making it entirely about yourself, which, which I've never thought that you've done. And I think that's that's why it's nice to see like a couple of Scots, like yourself, Andy, as well, going on and, and getting these gigs. And it's nice as well that there's going to be a bit of balance, like from, from a fan's point of view, to the coverage, you know, because... I think if I was listening to Sam Marface, <laughs> like I, I would be struggling a wee bit. And even Clive Tilsley, who was like one of one of my favourite commentators and one of my commentary heroes, I couldn't stand watching him do England games. But that's just because I've got that sort of um, what you what a lot of my English friends would term a small minded Scottish attitude. But like I always <laughs> argue, like, we're we're the ones getting beaten up for our dinner money in the school playground. That's the kind of vibe of the union, you know. So um, on that basis. Yeah, I've always I've always had that kind of antagonistic thing, and obviously having lived in England and, and all my best pals are English and stuff now, then I mean it's a bit different. But when it comes to Scotland and Scotland in a group with England, then my sort of nationalistic and kind of jingoistic vibe with that is like is very much coming to the fore again, and like quite proudly as well. Like I I know so many English people and so many English people are in my orbit now that are my pals. 
but like I am wholeheartedly wishing like the worst for them at this tournament. If they go out at the group stage, I will be absolutely ecstatic. I know I will feel a bit sorry no for Gareth Southgate in a holistic sort of way. But um I no, there's no chance of that happening. How do you think the group's gonna go then? Like what what's a realistic expectation for Scotland in this group, do you think? It's realistic. Uh, expectation probably realistic to to get out of the group. I'm not going in with that expectation though, because we we surely have learned by now that we should not expect. <laughs> yeah, we should not expect great things. We should obviously hope for them and never let that that hope die. Because that's part of the reason that what keeps us going as a Scotland fan for these moments. That all rests for me in the first game. If, if we can beat the Czechs, then what a position we're in. If we lose, we've got then two really difficult games to try and claim three points. I looked at the the 2016 standings and three points and a positive goal difference was enough to get you through. Two teams went out as a third-place finisher on three points with a negative goal difference. So right. if we can beat Czech Republic and get a point off any of the others, then we should be absolutely guaranteed to get through to the last 16. If we can beat Czech Republic and if we lose to the other two, keep it as narrow as we possibly can, then we we should still have a chance. But I don't think we can afford to be playing catch-up after losing to the Czechs. Yeah, no, no, I would say no, that's no. fair. What about you, Rory? What do you think? I, I, I wish that game was last. I wish the Czech game was last. Yeah. Because I think even if we... I, I think there could be a mentality that a draw might be enough, you know, don't start with a defeat. Uh, I can see that almost being in the headspace. Um, yeah. Particularly with the, you know, best third place. I mean, I think it's a ridiculous format. 24 I really teams don't only, like it. only cutting eight from the groups that you play that many games to get rid of eight teams. It's a, it's yeah. a daft for 24 is a number. It's not a prime number. It doesn't work. For a yeah. tournament for me. Yeah. So that's the statistician yeah. coming forth there. Yeah. <laughs> There's the standard grade maths coming into play. <laughs> um, I, so I, I think it can it can play with your mentality a little bit. I can imagine Scotland thinking, you know, if it's one one with ten minutes to go, not to risk it, take the point that, that you've got. Oh no, I hate when we do Which that. I which I would not like. I, I would far far yeah. rather I, I always say lose a game trying to win it rather than not trying to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you get what I mean. Well uh, no, I totally uh, do. Like in Scotland so many times I've seen us sit on like a lead or sit on the point that we're gonna get. And it yeah. like I've genuinely very, very seldom seen it end well. Oh yeah. Look, we're not we're not Italy from the nineties. You know, we're no, we're not gonna catch an actual our way through the group. Parisi and Maldini at the back. I mean we're we're not gonna sit on a one nil lead. Like, just gonna go and get the second goal. <laughs> I, Having a cushion is really nice. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, I would. I mean, I would rather that game was last because I think even if we win it, it almost gives us a false sense of security. Aye, aye, you can yeah. very quickly find yourself. You know, if we were then to lose at, at Wembley, and then you, you you're one nil down to to Croatia, you're you're in real trouble. At that I, stage, probably because you've been, you've got yourself in a nice position, and you can relax a little bit. Rory, I, I don't know about you, but I, I am feeling I'll, maybe because it's not in in our immediate future, as in the next game. But 
I'm actually a lot less nervous for the Croatia game because I feel that the burden of expectation isn't weighing so heavily on us for that one. And mm. I prefer Scotland to go into the game without that and as the underdog. Um, I think that Croatia are obviously a, a very, very strong side and you just need to look through the the clubs that their players represent. It's um, Champions League level, still. strong yeah, Europa yeah. League level. I mean, these are not... They're not a spent force that have suddenly exploded or imploded, sorry, since the 2018 World Cup. They're still world-class players. But I think that if we go into that game without the fans expecting us to to just turn them over, which part of me worries we are expecting to happen against the Czechs, then I think we stand mm-hmm. a better chance maybe of getting getting something, at least a point from the Czech Republic game. That I, I'm really fearful that there is a a false sense of expectation being put on the Czech Republic game that that we are I think it's maybe debatable if we're the favorites or not we, it's maybe a toss of a coin but I think that people are expecting Czech Republic to turn up and leave with nothing um based on the fact that we now have a pretty good squad put together yeah no yeah. I think I think that's a fair comment and I see the denouement of this group going one or two ways right so either we beat the Czech Republic, then we lose in a Scottish way to England. So like, something unfortunate or something where we've we've been the architects of our own downfall. And then a fraught, fraught 90 minutes against Croatia where like, we're probably going to need the draw because we'll be the first team to go out with a positive goal difference or something in the format, <laughs> right? Some really Scottish. Like, I mean, if you look at the Euro 96 and Holland... Um, or sorry, England conceding that late goal to Holland and that being what put us out eventually. I, I always argued that David Seaman let that in. But anyway, um, so that's that's one sort of set of circumstances. The other one is we get beat or we, we drop points anyway against the Czech Republic. We do something against England. We put in a performance that gives us hope, right? Maybe get a draw again uh, and then we play against Croatia and we fight valiantly. And there we go. The, 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 See, if we, both, sorry, we. No, 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 both, both your scenarios have us going out. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, 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 this is this, this is a mentality that I think I Scotland need to ditch. Is, I know, is I know. I'm sorry. Glorious failure for me inbuilt. is a banned phrase. Yeah. I, I hate the term glorious failure, that there's something predetermined that we're going <laughs> to stuff it up from a really good position. I mean, I, I see if we see if we got to the final and lost, people would go, "Oh, that's glorious failure again, Scotland." You're like, no, oh, that's, that's success, just, man. That's just glorious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> success. Like if we if we can emulate Wales, right? Yeah, or get to, like or well, anything yeah. like that, then that would be that would be amazing. Like if we if we can get out the groups and through a knockout game. My goodness. And do you know what? I want to get through the group in the top two. I know that's like, I know I've got us going out, right? But I'm also entitled, right? I don't want us going through because the format lends itself to us getting through. I want us to get through because we deserve to get through as one of the top two teams. Also, if we finish second. England are the obvious favourites for the group. Mm -hmm. But they're also slow starters. I mean, they, they never really set the place alight early doors in a, in a tournament. In fact, throughout a tournament, they do tend to sort of stumble their way through it. So I could see them dropping points. I, I, I can see us 
second, third, or fourth in that group. I, I, I think all are almost of a equal possibility. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of subscribed to that as well. Um, I, I think, I think there is a chance we get through. I, I really, actually do. I know both of my scenarios had us going out. Right, that's just because it's that inbuilt sort of Scottish mentality that's not going to yeah. go well. The, but, the, so, sorry, sorry. Carry on. The permutations of the group are really interesting because. The winner of our group plays whoever finishes third in Group F, and that is the group with France, Germany, and Portugal. So okay. England or Croatia or maybe us, whoever uh, wins the group is going to have an absolute nightmare tie. I was going to say that. Group. Finishing second is almost beneficial. Whoever, 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 finish, whoever finishes second in our group plays the second-place finisher from the group that has Spain, Sweden, Poland, and Slovakia. So let's say we expect Spain to win that. If whoever finishes second in our group is pretty much guaranteed an easier last 16 tie. And I know that these are all hypotheticals and permutations that we can't predict the future from. But England had the same problem in the last World Cup when they were there was a chat about should we lose to or should the English lose to Belgium because then it will give them a, an easier route to the quarterfinal. But I think it's it's I'm not saying that Scotland should go out and if we're sitting top of the group, purposefully <laughs> lose our last game. I'm not suggesting that for a minute. But it's just interesting that you can win the group and be rewarded with a much trickier game than than if you finish second. Yeah. I I think again, does that maybe lend? I mean, part of it's the draw, but also the format has influenced like the way that the the draw has uh, been done. You know, yeah. so I, I think there are a few questions to be raised. And um, just on that as well, this sort of pan-European thing. How how do we feel about that briefly? The, the having it in all all different cities. Yeah, and and not in yeah. one one place or, or two countries I, or one country. I, I don't like it at all. As a yeah. as a fan, uh, that that would have been travelling to the tournament. Uh, you want you want a base. I think I think a tournament needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that thousands of fans descend on somewhere and travel around and really experience the place. None of this was built for fans' enjoyment. This was this was built for making money. I think it's maybe uh, convenient, and, Rory, that the virus has happened and UEFA can kind of just gloss over this. I, I think a little bit, and I think they'll put it behind them and they'll not do it again. I really hope. I, I think it's a really flawed concept uh, yeah, that, that fans just aren't taken into account. And when we were talking about commentary before, and, you know, obviously Andy and I have got uh, got a couple of gigs for for the Euros. It was going to be a real dilemma if you know if this was a normal tournament and normal uh, you know attendances at the games. Whether and Andy might be the same. Whether you would want to be working or you'd want to be out there for two weeks with your mates. And I I I I'd been asked on various podcasts about it. And I said, I really don't know. This one was made easy. A, because there's going to be, what, 15,000 at the games. Mm-hmm. B, because it's also, our games are at Hamden and Wembley. Hamden you go to all the time. Wembley I've been to enough times. Uh, and, and and the third thing, and the main thing, was that it's not in, you know, it's t- any, any random European country, be it Germany, Sweden, Poland, like wherever, yeah, I love that travel, and I, I love experiencing everything that you get in in our country, and you can really immerse yourself into it. This one, this one, you can't. I, I think even if it was in normal non-COVID times, you'd be like, 
or next game is in Bilbao, fly into Bilbao and we'll fly home the next day. And just it, it's just not a, a, a it's not a proper tournament. I don't know. Like I'm totally no. with you, Rory. That it, it's it's not something that I had ever uh, expected to happen for me. This tournament it kind of came out of the blue, and so I hadn't tried to weigh up the keeping profession and passion as separate, which I do think the point you made earlier is an important one. My heartstrings are with Scotland, not a club, and I, I don't want to lose that ever. Um, and I think that if if this was a tournament where, let's say, that Spain was the host and, and we could map out, um, you know, travelling between Seville and Valencia and Barcelona or whatever for Scotland's group games and everyone would be going together, it would it would be a difficult uh a decision to make, I think, for people like us, especially that this has come around for the first time in 23 years. It's not a guarantee that we can say, oh, well, if we work at this one, we'll just be a fan at the next one. Because who knows when when it might happen. Well, I don't, It I would be I... the most Scottish thing ever if the tournament that we qualify for is the one at Hamden and then we get to a dry World Cup in Qatar. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, that's that's a fair point. I, I think on 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 the note that you are saying there, obviously, uh, delighted for you both to be working it. And I mean, had I had the opportunity, probably a lot of the same methodology, thought wise, that you've gone through there, Rory would would apply. But I'm also really looking forward to watching a couple of the group games just in the living room with my mum and dad. You know, like that. That's going to be lovely because mm. I'd rather in a bar and split or something though. <laughs> I know if, if there was a tournament to go to, then I always said the next Scottish uh, sort of major tournament we get to, I'm there. Right now, that's the reason that I'm going down to London. I've, I've also got some work sort of that I'm doing as well, but I'm going down to London for the week of the Wembley game for the build-up, and then I'll be flying back up on the on the Monday night. Now, part of the reason that I'm doing that is because I want to make sure that I watch the two home games at home because there's no better alternative. And then I want to go down and sample the atmosphere down in London, you know, and it's obviously going to be different and it's going to be a bit weird um, with this sort of COVID stuff. And obviously I've got the, the, the thing that I'm going down there for work. So there's no questions on that kind of side of things. But I think that's, I, I totally get it. But like, I think that the other thing that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting at here is this is going to be special for people because it's been that long that there's going to be memories created, whether that memory's in a bar with your mates, whether that memory is in the living room with your mum and dad, whether that memory's like you guys, brilliant professional milestones, you know, whatever it might be, this is going to be something that Scotland fans cherish and remember and will we'll hopefully always hark back to in a positive way after we go and qualify and stomp the group. Um, now, I just want to have a bit of discussion about the actual squad. So I'm going to bring it up for us to have a wee look at. Now, I was really, really happy with the pool of Scotland players that was picked. Um, so we just looked through it there. Um, for anyone who's listening to this in audio format, you've got Craig Gordon, David Marshall, John McLaughlin, other goalkeepers, defenders, Liam Cooper, Declan Gallagher, Grant Hanley, Jack Hendry, Scott McKenna, Stephen O'Donnell, Nathan Patterson, Andy Robertson, Greg Taylor, Kieran Tierney, midfielders, Stuart Armstrong, Ryan Christie, John Fleck, James Forrest, Ryan Fraser, Billy Gilmer, John McGinn, Callum McGregor, Scott McTominay, David Turnbull, and then forwards are Shea Adams, Lyndon Dykes, and Kevin Nisbet. That's just in the order it comes in the sheet, by the way. Um, so the fact that I'm, I'm listing wingers as midfielders and stuff is just by the by. But 
What do you think of that pool of players, gents? Uh, I think Kenny McLean would probably more than likely have been in there, uh, or would have been in there, had he not suffered an injury. Uh, that's obviously given the chance to to maybe put a couple of wild cards in there as well, um, with the expanded pool the, the, of, of twenty six. Uh, what, what do you think of the group uh, that we've we've selected or that Steve Clark selected though? Overall, I, I mean, I'd, I'm not sure I would change from who's fit and who's available. I'm not sure I would change anyone for that squad. And I cannot remember saying that about a single, single Scotland squad in, in recent memory, really. Um, but do you guys concur in with that? Or what do you think? Yeah, I think yeah, there are very, very few flashpoints. On, on you go, Andy. Sorry, very few flashpoints uh, and... Um, really debatable choices in this Scotland squad. I was not sure if James Forrest would make it personally, uh, and I feel that yep. he is a bit lucky because Me too. he scored a hat, hat trick against Israel, but not fit for the vast majority of the season. And I don't think he has much credit in the bank as a Scotland player. James Forrest, I'm not. He doesn't no. perform routinely for Scotland the way that he has for Celtic in the last the last uh, three or four seasons. Um, there was a talking point to be fair between Nisbet or probably Griffiths. Um, I'm on board with the choice of Nisbet. Um, I think I think that's absolutely fine. The, uh, the the squad as a whole, there is there's very little debate to be had around it. I think that the the main debate is the the starting eleven. Even though Clark, I think, is more than hinted what is what his first choice nine or ten players are. Yeah, I, th- I think I think, I think what 10. you see with mm-hmm. uh, with that squad and what you'll see throughout Steve Clark's time be it with Scotland, be it with Kilmarnock, is loyalty is a massive factor. And that's why there aren't really many surprises. I think he used the extra three, uh, you know, with a squad of 26, the three extra selections mm-hmm. to bring in some young guys. So that's that's yeah. where, you know, the... Patterson, Gilmore. The likes of Billy Gilmore and, and Nathan Patterson uh, got their chance. David Turnbull, probably as well as, as the third one. I think he probably should have been in the squads in uh, in the March games, uh, just to give him a wee, wee taste of it. I think of any Celtic player, he was one that, that really stood out this year. But I think that's why James Forrest gets the nod, is because he, he might not have as much credit, as Andy says, in a Scotland jersey. But... Steve Clark knows exactly what he gets from him. So if he's not had a great season with Celtic, obviously he's been injured the vast majority of the time. Steve Clark knows exactly what he what he's going to get from him. Um, so mm-hmm. he he's always going to going to be loyal to those sorts of players. I, one that I would I thought might get a chance was Ryan Gold. I would like to see him in the squad at, at some stage. But that central midfield, you look through it and you're like, well. You know, who do you drop out of that? John Fleck, arguably, having had a Sheffield United having such a poor season, but he's the one that's been in the squad the entire time, and and that's where uh, Steve Clark he's he's just big on that team mentality, creating a club atmosphere. Yeah. and and you don't want you don't want to mess with that too much. Gold will get a chance, Rory. I'm certain of it because yeah. he's he's going he's going to get a good move this summer. He's a free agent that everyone in Portugal knows about him. Clubs in Europe. And England will know about him. I think it's important, though, to differentiate between the centre mids. We've got eight of them, but they come in like two blocks of four. So I don't think we can say Fleck was picked over Gold because they're different centre mids. I think, if anything, it was Turnbull that was picked over Ryan Gold. Because yeah. Yeah. Ahead, ahead of Gold in the queue, 
undisputably, is McGinn, Christie uh, and Armstrong for that attacking mm-hmm. role. And then Turnbull has come in as the fourth instead of Gold. And then in the, in the, with Ryan Jack and Kenny McLean's injury, that is probably what has seen Billy Gilmore and John Fleck included. So I think we need to, I think just because our centre mids, they're, they're different positions. And got Gold is just, unfortunately for him and, and all his fans at the moment, there are too many players ahead of him in the queue that haven't let Clark down. It's, it's interesting that that's the area of the team that's, that's very, very strong. Because I, I think Scotland, I think for quite a while now we've had a decent midfield, but I think we're now blessed with, with some really good options and some really we we can mix it up just by changing the personnel, and that's quite a that's quite a good position to be in. Now, there's obviously after the the, the impressive cameos in the Luxembourg game and, and probably before that as well a clamour to get Nathan Patterson in at right back and to give Billy Gilmore a chance in midfield. Now, I'm, I'm fairly certain that neither of them will start the opening game and I would be surprised if they, they started any game unless we, we really need to to twist our hand, you know, maybe get into the final game against Croatia. But, I mean, where, where do you guys stand on that? Do you, because I'll be honest, Stephen O'Donnell has... An, um, Hopefully not annoy Andy too much here, because um, I'm, I'm sure it's somebody you 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 quite like Andy. I've watched him a lot for Kelly Kelly TV um, in the past. Stephen O'Donnell is a player that there was a there was an instance actually in that Luxembourg game that kind of highlighted it for me. They had a, I think it was a corner. We headed away. Andy Robertson was in the right wing, and he was sort of streaking up, and it was just his sort of athleticism, awareness, all of those things coming to the fore, giving us a great platform for a counter attack. He played a wee pass into Stephen O'Donnell, and he blittered it with his foot and lost control of it, and the move fell to bits. And I just thought that totally highlights how we've got a world class left back, and let's be honest, a pretty functional right back. So I think there's been a bit of a, a clamour from people after Nathan Patterson's impressive. Um, sort of cameos and, and, and influence that he had when he came in for Tavernier for Rangers. I think a lot of people want to see him given a chance. And then likewise, Billy Gilmore's gone and won a Champions League medal, you know? Um, there's only a handful of Scottish players have ever done that. So uh, I think given... And, and Billy Gilmore, by the way, most of the times I've seen him start for Chelsea, he has been an absolute focal point and, and really, really impressed. So there's no doubt that these are two players with bags and bags of ability and potential. But is it too early to start them? Would you guys say? Uh, no, I'm not asking what Steve Clark will do because I don't think he will. But if you guys were in charge, if you if you were selecting the first eleven for that first game, would you select either of them? When you go, Rory. I think I think that uh, both of them are good enough to start and arguably improve the team on a. a Purely just a sort of technical level. I think I think that they they are good enough and they will become better than than possibly their competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but neither of them have big game experience, really. That's. It. I mean, B- Billy Gilmore, I think, is absolutely superb. But he's, since Thomas Tuchel has come in, I think he's played two and a half Premier League games for Chelsea. It's yeah. not enough. He. He really need, he he needs to either get himself bumped up the pecking order in that squad. He is still young, or he needs to go out on loan. He he has to, he has to be playing games. It's he'll be having a great time in training and mm-hmm. learning from incredible players around him. 
but there's no substitute for for playing in big games. Wonderful being on the bench for a Champions League final, getting all that experience, but it's not the same as as playing Grandi. football. So, and and, and it does it does come back also to the the loyalty thing. And and Steve Clark knows what he can get from Stephen O'Donnell and let's say Callum McGregor, who's probably mm-hmm. a similar type of player to Billy Gilmore. So yeah, I I would I would start the more experienced guys um certainly in the first game it might be something that the others work their way into because they might be absolutely bossing the training park and yeah. steve clark might say by game three look this guy's got to go in so mm-hmm. i think they could work their way into it i would say most most likely nathan patterson i think right back's a position that is is a little bit more up for grabs than in the middle, just because there's so much competition I, in there. I would say so. Yeah, I, I mean, the one thing I would say about Callum McGregor is I think he's really, and and I think part of this is if you look at Celtic's last four seasons, there's been maybe a month stoppage when you look at the end of the domestic campaign and the start of the ridiculous European qualifiers that they've had to go through. So after playing under Brendan Rodgers and, and really, really up in his level, and my argument was at that point under Strachan, where Scotland were doing all right. It was Brendan Rodgers that was that was influencing a lot of that with the, with the levels he was getting the Celtic players to hit, and that that was having a beneficial um, effect for Scotland. But when it comes to when you look at Callum McGregor right now, I just don't think he's playing with the same verve and energy that he did a couple of seasons back. And I don't just think it's like oh Neil Lennon's sort of sapped his confidence or anything like that. Because I don't I don't think it's a confidence question. I don't think it's a question of application. I don't think it's anything like that. I think he's just a bit tired out. And he's a player that's that's really had the ability to keep going and going and going. Whereas you, you contrast that maybe with Akira Tierney, who has been, I think the longevity of his career will potentially have been affected by these cam- these arduous campaigns he's had with Celtic early on in his career. So that's the one question mark for me is uh, I think Steve Clark will go with Callum McGregor, but I would be interested to see what other options there are in terms of that midfield mix. I mean, do, do you guys concur with that or, or what, do you, what do you reckon? It's between Gilmore and McGregor for me and I can't decide. I really can't. Rory uh, will go am, McGregor probably judging in the coming. I, I think he'll go McGregor, uh Clark. Me too. The yeah. the Patterson O'Donnell one. I, I think that I think that by this time next year, or certainly by the World Cup in twenty twenty two, I think Gilmore and Patterson will both be starters for oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think that O'Donnell's done enough to earn the jersey for me. I I, I think functional is a good way to describe him. You kind of no frills, no spills. But the it, 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 we have scored two important or one important goal, and we scored a goal this week as well from O'Donnell winning the ball in a high press uh, against Serbia. Yeah, a good point against Serbia, and also uh, against Luxembourg. Uh, he won the ball on the right wing, gave it to Dykes, and then gave it to Adams. So O'Donnell, he's not a a round peg in a square hole. Like he, he can play that role. It just so happens to be that there's a a boy motoring along who's must be about eight years younger than him. And probably, uh, sorry, definitely will go to a higher level than him, and will take his place in this in the Scotland team at some point. Uh, Callum I McGregor, I, I don't think, I, I think that Celtic becoming a poorer team has just affected him. I think he runs smoother in a 
in a machine that is more well-oiled than it has been this season. Um, and I think that Gilmore could, and I Rory touched on it, I think that Gilmore could improve that Scotland midfield. Because I don't yep. think that McGregor, and he was really good alongside Jack in Serbia, McGregor for me has never stamped his name all over the midfield jersey for us. I think I think he's been decent at best for Scotland, no more. I think during that period I, I mentioned, under Strachan slash Rogers, I think he was really good then. But all the Celtic players were really good then. I think it's worth considering uh, games two and three. If you're looking at the right-back position, it's all about defensive ability. And I'd, to yeah. throw in Nathan Patterson into face uh, Grealish or a Foden or uh, <laughs> Riccalo, Pekovic, oh. Rebic, you know, that, those guys that can all play out there. You know, both those teams are going to play front threes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that's where you really need a switched on experienced uh, Odon- right back. Odon- isn't too Odon- concerned about going forward. O'Donnell's not that fast. This, this actually crossed my mind, and I don't think it'll happen, but if Patterson would get a run out or start against England to try and deal with Sterling or Foden's pace, because Patterson's rapid, whereas O'Donnell isn't. The, the one thing I would say about that is it, I think it makes sense to play a more defensive-minded player in, in games two and three, and I think we might be likely to see Grant Hanley rather than as the central stopper playing as the right centre-back to counteract exactly what you're saying there because Grant Hanley is a deceptively quick centre-back. People don't know how quick he is. He's second in the speed trials at Norwich. Wow. So um, I, I think that's that's a factor. Plus, obviously, playing under Daniel Farker, he's got better at stepping out. Uh, and well, there was against Luxembourg. There was a couple of nice wee switches of play. So I think I think that's, that, that's maybe a factor. The construction of the defence was something I wanted to come on to because... There's a few different ways that could 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 be put together. I'll bring up the squad again. Um, so, if you guys were reckoning right now, what do you think he's going to do in terms of how how he puts that together? Uh, I, I wonder if if Declan Gallagher's inclusion uh, in in the friendly maybe means that he was he was trying that out to see if that was a viable starting option. And I must admit, in the friendly, I was less impressed than I was in the Serbia game. Jack Hendry, again, scored a lovely goal against the Dutch, but I think in some of the recent qualification games, uh, I think he's been exposed pretty badly. I think his positioning is still a bit haphazard at times. Scott McKenna, I don't think he's really pushed on from his, his sort of early emergence. So that's the area of the team that I'm really kind of questioning. I'm looking at and going, I'm not really 100% sure either what the manager will do or how how I would even go about it. The, the one thing I will say is I really, really like the two left backs for the price of one. I think uh, he's, he's done really, really well, Steve Clark, to answer that conundrum that, that we couldn't answer before. And I think the the... The sort of overlapping and dovetailing between Tierney and Robertson works really well now. So I think that, I think Tierney's become our best player. Yeah, I think in the last last 100%. year he has been absolutely incredible for Scotland. And like you say, with the he can because his 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 natural instincts are to get forward. Yep, and he's obviously got got Robertson out there as well. So he can he can underlap, he can overlap. He's playing that role for Arsenal as well. I, I just think that he has become this outstanding 
player for us. I think he's I think he's gone beyond what what Robertson is, and that that's not any slight on Andy Robertson because I mean he's a he's a world class player. Yeah. But for Tierney to have now to have gone from the fact that he he had to play right back or or you're on the bench to now being I I think the most important player in our team. Uh, yeah. I think he's, he's just an outstanding player who who plays alongside him. I I I really struggle to to pick between them. Um, yeah, I, I think Hen- Hendry can take the ball out a little bit better than the rest. And you you certainly wouldn't want Grant Hanley, you know, going for a mazy run over the halfway line, uh, or Scott McKenna. Um, like Cooper goes Hanley's getting a bit it, better. Not not at the mazy runs, but he can step out better now than he used to. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, you, you kind of want a bit of balance on that right hand side, but I, I honestly, that there's not one that really sticks out for me that you go, yeah, he he definitely goes in the central area or he goes on the right right hand side of the three. Uh, I I think that'll be they're they're the only two positions I think that are are really tricky to pick. Yeah, I think the other thing is it's such a shame that Liam Cooper is left sided. You know, because uh, I think that if if he if he was really comfortable sort of in the middle, maybe more two footed, whatever, then it would it would kind of answer that question for itself. Because I think quality wise, that's the answer. And in that sort of aspect, he's kind of unfortunate that that Kieran Tierney has adapted so well to his new role. But also from a tactical perspective, and without going and grabbing Manorak here. It's such an interesting aspect of Scotland tactically, this, because what it does is it gives us something that... I mean, England actually had something similar in the last World Cup where they were playing a right-back as, as sort of on, on the right side of the, the central part of the defence. And what it does is, if you do that, is it gives you an underlap potential every time and it gives you a different sort of prong to your attack that other teams won't have because if people go with a low block and condense the central area then what that does is it obviously opens space in the outside. But Scotland actually have two men that they can have running at you there, you know, who can both deliver quality and and, and run at pace in terms of stuff. So either whether it's the overlap or the underlap, that left side of the Scotland team, you've got an extra man every time who can drive at the opposition defence from deep. And I think that's really good. They are both decoys as well, I think, because I'm not sure the opposition will know who or how to focus their attention on. Uh, if if Tierney is one on the ball coming forward, obviously someone has to try and stop him. But if two men go on him, then it's likely to leave Robertson in loads of space. Vice versa, mm-hmm. if Robertson attracts two men to him, then Tierney should have enough space to underlap, as you say, and get into the opposition box for a cutback. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be really interesting. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach for the uh, left-footed chip on my shoulder right now. Okay, <laughs> somebody that grew up as a left-footer. How, how often do you see like two right-footed centre backs in a back four, and nobody mentions it? But if you've got two left-footed centre backs in a back four, everyone goes, oh, oh, you can't play him out yeah. on the right-hand side because he's a left-footer. That's a fair point. That yeah. is a fair point. So I, are we, are we Cooper, so Cooper can easily play in the middle. Yeah, he could play in the middle, but is he a stopper? Then is my question, mm. because that's what you want the central guy to be. So I mean, is that is that his natural sort of defensive domain, or is he is he more comfortable just playing sort of maybe a bit less aggressively, if you know, if it, for yeah. want of a, a better way of phrasing it? So I think it's it's to do with roles, you know, as well. And and I'm 
The good thing is Scotland are at a major tournament and we're getting to talk about these things. And to be honest, the construction of the team in the squad is, for the first time, like I totally agree with the way the squad a Scotland manager has picked. And that's really good. I also want to come on to talk about Shea Adams because he's added a completely different element to the mix of our attack and part of your cynicism at the door that he's just kind of jumped in the bandwagon to get a go at a major tournament. I, I think it's really good for Scotland and I think the, the combination play between him and Dykes looks to be really strong. The other aspect of Shea Adams' game I really like is he's so good at picking up those spaces between the, the sort of middle third and the final third, whether that's centrally or pulling out wide. He's, he's intelligent with his movement. He's not as quick as a lot of folk might think, but he's running as powerful and he's intelligent, as I say, with that movement. So I think he's added a new dynamic to the mix. And between him and Dykes, I was really, really encouraged by some of the, the link-up play between those two. And I think that bodes quite well, as long as Dykes can can start putting things in the net, which obviously struggled a bit for me, Luxembourg. Hodge, I think that it has to be Adams as the striker and we decide who plays up there with him rather than Dykes as the striker and we decide who pairs him. Interesting. So you wouldn't you wouldn't pick Dykes? No, not necessarily. I think the starting point is Adams and we decide who partners him rather than Oh right, Dykes I get you. First, yeah, yeah, yeah. So whether you've got um him sort of leading the line and then maybe a, a sort of what you would term more a midfielder, but a, a, an attacking sort of player in that veneer. Or yeah, but I'm not I'm not opposed, I'm not opposed I'm not opposed to Adams and Dykes playing together. But I mm. think that we have to make Adams the focal point and decide who will work with him rather than make Dykes the number, the, the preferential striker and decide who works best with him. Yeah, I think quality-wise I would completely agree. Rory? Yeah, I, th I think it very much depends on the game and how deep you're sitting and if, if you're needing to lump it, Lyndon Dykes is more likely to hang on to it or, or win, a, win a header up there than Shea Adams, whereas Adams is more likely to to run off a defender and use his power. Uh, yeah. It maybe comes down to the pairing. I quite, I think Dykes and Fraser works quite well. I'm not sure if yep. Fraser and Adams would work quite so well. Whereas, you know, I think I think Adams with Christie or Armstrong off him, uh, I quite like the look of that. I think Dykes and Adams works. I, I think they're. they're trying to strike up a partnership and like Andy says it's given us a completely new dynamic it used to be right this is the one striker and this is what we work off him the fact that we can that we do have the option to now play two which you might do in the first game I could see that I think in the first game five three uh, two play, play the two of them uh, and it would then be somebody like it would be like Christie or Armstrong that that would miss out or Turnbull, mm -hmm. um, and I th but I think I think Nisbet gives us a good option off the bench as well because he's probably actually the best finisher out of the three of them. He really impressed and, me as well. Like, see the way he was holding on to the ball when he came on against the Dutch. Like I, I was really really impressed by by how he managed to do that. But one question is, if you play the two though, does that slightly neutralise the threat of John McGinn and that spaces are being occupied by other players a wee bit? that he could potentially run into because I, I didn't see him have quite the, the sort of dazzling effect that he has in other games when, when the two of those guys were, were playing up front. And I don't know if that was just a sort of one-off kind of thing. 
because um, I'm only going back a couple of games really where that's happened. So, but, but I, I think you've got to make sure that John McGinn's got the platform to be the best version of John McGinn because yeah. he is probably, would you say, maybe, maybe the most natural match winner in, in the team uh, in, in terms of the options that we've got right now, I would say. I'd say him or Turnbull, probably. Yeah, yeah. we have to set peace. Aye. Um, yeah. I, th- I think it's important that we have uh, McGinn arriving in the edge of the box, the way that Lampard used to do for the English. Um, he's, I actually read a, a crazy stat. can't remember the player that is beating him. I think it might be Immobile or one of the Italians. Since Steve Clark took charge, no player has scored more goals for their country in Europe than John McGinn, apart from one, and I'm sure it's an Italian player. Wow. Sure, surely somebody like Lewandowski has scored about fifty goals since then. For for their for their country. Aye. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. There's only one. I, I read it was only one, and it's doing my head in that I can't remember who it was, but I'll, I'll research that. But yeah, he's a ten, 10 goals as McGinn scored since Clark took charge, yeah. which is absolutely frightening levels for any centre mid, let alone a Scotland centre mid, when we're not always dominating games. No, that's fair enough, chaps. Um, Why well, talk a wee bit about the other teams in the group? Uh, you guys, obviously, uh, full-time commentators, so you know a bit more than than maybe the average man about the... I think everyone kind of knows about England, so maybe focusing on the other two a wee bit. Uh, start off with Croatia, uh, just because people might be a bit more familiar with them, but h- how different does their team look to the, the 2018 team that, that people might remember quite well? Uh, is, is there any sort of new aspects or, or new threats they've got stuff we should be aware of with the Croats first off losing losing Rakitic for them I think is is really big uh, which I, th- I think takes a lot out of their game and mm-hmm. you know two of the others that were massive for them in, in Russia were Ivica Olic and Mario Mandzukic so they've sort of had to reshape their their attack quite a bit. Um, that said, there are there are enough quality players uh, in that side. I mean, Modric is still he's still the boss in there, um, and alongside him, you you got Kovacic and Brozovic uh, that are that are classy players. Um, yeah. I actually I actually think that um, Barisic gives them quite a quite a good outlet yeah. on the left-hand side. He's obviously one that we know about. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's an area that that they might fancy that they can do some damage. He he, he sends some brilliant balls into the box yeah, uh, for Rangers from deep, from the byline. It's it's the deeper ones. Was it, who was it against? Was it Porto two seasons ago when he put in the huge deep cross to Morelos who finished it? Uh, with the, the sort of first time finish, um, and if the likes of, I mean, I like Rebic. That's that's up there, the AC Milan striker. Um, him or Kramaric, uh, Petkovic. The, the the they've got enough quality to be able to to do real damage. I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can cover that, Andy. And to add, or will we move on to the checks? No. Yeah. Just these aren't players that I watch every week, but they're enough uh, names in there for us to, I don't think quake in our boots, but certainly approach the game with absolute caution of what they're capable of. Rory rhymed off the names. I mean, some of the clubs that these guys represent, even their their two centre-halves, 
uh, Lovren and Vida, Besiktas and Zenit. I mean, that just screams awkward, stuffy, hard men, doesn't it? So I think that, that is the sort of game where I can imagine that we'll we'll stick dykes up there probably uh, to try and ruffle their feathers a bit. Yeah, we've no, never, no. you know, we've never lost to Croatia. Wild, isn't it? Absolutely wild. And I, was, I, I, was, I was, I think, I think we've only played them five times, and we've won the yeah. last two, including yeah. the game in Zagreb, which was an I absolute joy. Ah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> That was such a good trip as well. Croatia was just an awesome place. So, uh, in, in danger and annoying you, Rory, uh, what that says to my Scottish mentality is they're due to beat us. Czech Republic then. I, I think this is a team that a few people probably know maybe a little bit about because there's obviously that Slavia Prague team and there's there's a sort of spine of, of, of players there that they've got from that. So so a few people have seen them when, when Rangers obviously played them. And that was a very, very impressive um, on the field, or or at least when dealing with the football side yeah. of it, um, Slavia Prague side. There's also a few sort of young kind of names that are expected to go on and, and, and have really good careers uh, in, in the Czech national squad. But they've also had like some, some important injuries, which, which could kind of weaken the, the the threat that they have to pose. But I don't think anybody can be taken lightly at a major tournament when you're Scotland, and we're definitely not doing that. But are we a better team than the Czech Republic right now? Oh, wow. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, okay. I know that we I know that we beat them in the Nations League 1-0. That was a good performance that night. Ryan Fraser's lovely finish from Dykes through ball. I think we need to take the the game before that out the equation, um, because it was. I think there's only two or three from that squad when they were decimated yeah, that made yeah. it to the to the final. So it will be completely different. And it's interesting that my answer to your question is no. I was listening to the Tartan Scarf podcast the other day. Uh, my friend Gordon Sheik and he'd interviewed a, a Czech journalist, and they they see us as a bogey side. They they don't like playing. Really? Sport. Yeah. The the Czech, it was a Czech Czech football expert blogger sort of guy. And he was saying we don't like playing against Scotland. Um, Thomas Danicek, by any chance? Because uh, I'm an advanced talks to try and oh, get him on the I'm top. Not sure. really. I he was from a website called Czech Footy. Right. Cool. Um, yeah, and, and he was saying that we, we don't like playing Scotland. They they seem to to do well against us, and I think that we we do have a fairly good record. We've beaten them in two friendlies as well. Uh, we came close for, to a great victory over them at Hamden, a two-two game. They they scored the last-minute penalty when Levine was the manager. It was a, a dive from their striker. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Rezek. Though, Rezek, yeah, even, even though we've got a good record against them, and we've got some players from the Liverpool Arsenal and and a Celtic core and stuff, I still look around at the squad and I think that these guys are made up of. Uh, sorry, this squad is made up of guys that play for teams that that would routinely beat our lot in Europe, and mm. it is like Slavia, Slavia players. Suchek is probably going to get a move this summer from West Ham to one of the big clubs. Yeah, he's been really Patrick Schick's got a Bayer Leverkusen. He's got a good record. He's in double figures and only about 25, 26 caps. You've got uh, Vidra, who knows his way around a penalty box. And like players from Slavia and Leja Warsaw and Hoffenheim, like these sort of clubs that they, they might not be the most glamorous, but I think they, they certainly know how to take care of business. It's not the... Paborskis and Nedveds of of, of previous yeah, yeah, yeah. three years, but it's still a really strong Czech team. It's really interesting here that they see us as a bogey team. 
Yeah. Wonder how many other countries see that because you know you never think of Scotland in that kind of context. Croatia, probably. <laughs> Aye, I suppose so. I suppose so. Uh, I, anything I, stick I, out for you, Rory? I I I disagree slightly with Andy. I I think I think we are better than them, or we should certainly see ourselves as as better. I don't think that they've got anybody on a on a standard of a Robertson, a Tierney, or a McTominay. Yes, probably. What they maybe have is a little bit more of a, a balanced level, whereas we've maybe got a few guys who are right up here mm. in with maybe some that are down here, and they've maybe got a whole squad that's maybe a little bit more level at yeah, that okay. kind of Slavia Prague um, standard, which I was so impressed with them. You know, let's let's really, um, really good. forget everything that went on with um, Andre Cadella because that's got nothing to do with the, the football side of things. They're missing their best defender because of that. Yeah, um, which is absolutely the right call, and, and yeah. ten games was far too. Should little. have been longer, I ridiculous. Yeah, of course. If, they, if you want to send a message, then then it's got to be longer. They they have, um, yeah. Having seen Sparta as well, uh, absolutely dispatch Celtic in the in the group stages of the Europa League as well. That then, is embarrassing for Celtic, by the way. <laughs> you know, they they cannot be underestimated in the slightest. I think we're at a ve- we're at a very similar sort of. Uh, level as them i would maybe take that our top players are the three that i mentioned are probably just a bit better than than theirs being so check um possibly schick I'm, I'm not i'm not totally sold on him but um uh, kufal as well that's at west ham uh you know they're, they're very very good players and i think Sochek will, will he, as you say he'll get his move the one that i really wanted to see in the i think it was november ish time uh was adam klojek to prague and he, he was injured for the uh for the celtic games or he might have had a covid there might be a covid issue around him i'm not sure he didn't play in either of the games he's one that i'm I, I quite i would like is to, is to teenager? see is that teenager? I, yeah he's, i think he's 18 uh, he first came to my attention because I broke Hajduk Split's transfer record and football manager for him, and he was awesome. <laughs> I knew you were going to say football manager, mate. We um, so me, me and my mates for Norwich, we've got we started a network game at the start of lockdown, uh, and we're now entering the eleventh season of it, and we're all new. Like we, we started in the Championship with English clubs, and then we're all new, sort of in the Premier League. I've had Norwich in the Champions League for four years. Ironic that they're all from Norwich, and I'm the one in charge of them. <laughs> um, started off at Barnsley, went quite well. But uh, Adam Klozek has been part of um, my mate Joe's QPR team, which has won uh, Europa League, has won various <laughs> sort of honours during that time, and uh, Klozek has been part of that team since. I think pretty much near the start of the game, you know. Uh, so I think I think that's what happens now. Obviously, for uh, on on that on that game, there's a lot of research goes into the clubs use the database now. When someone's as good as that young guy, then I mean, it, it does him being as good on that game actually does demonstrate somewhat he's he's potential at least to to go on and have a good career now. We all know about the Cherno Sambas of the world without going too deep down that rabbit hole. So they don't always get it right. But I think he's a name that a few people will be familiar with for that reason, actually. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how... Uh, do you think he's likely to play on the right then? Uh, if he's if he's playing against us, playing the right wing? Or do you think they would deploy him up front? I, 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 don't, I don't think he'll start. I no? I think if, 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 he, if he comes on, he, 
If he plays, he comes on. And it's yeah. probably probably playing off the right-hand side, I would, I would think, from what I I've seen of him. Mm-hmm. Just looking at his, his goal record for Sparta this season, he was a joint top scorer with 15 goals and he gets seven assists as well. He was a joint top scorer in the division, 18 years old, 15 goals, and he missed four months of the season. Right, um, what I'm going to do, lads, is I'm going to rattle through. That, that's, um, I, I mean, that's, that tells you its own story, those stats. I am going to rattle through some fan questions because we don't want to go on too long here. I think we'll wrap up at about the 90-minute mark. Um, and I know you've got to, got to nip off, Andy. So we'll run through some fan questions. Then I'm going to get some predictions from you, which you'll be looking forward to. Um, so thanks for everyone who stayed watching and thanks for staying patient um, to go through these questions. So I'll come back to one uh, <clears throat> which was I put up earlier on, which we didn't actually come round to answering from, from Ollie Middleton. Uh, any players who didn't get a chance to play a major tournament over the past 20 years who you would really want in the squad? So like, if we maybe limit this to, to two or three each, who would you really have in there? Now, McFadden's one for me. Yeah, yeah, McFadden. Um, you- on ability, I think it's maybe a different thing on ability uh, and on merit. Um, yeah. Because I think that... I'm going to bring emotion into the equation in my answer as well. Yeah. Like who, who I feel kind of would have deserved it, you know? For that, for that reason, then two for me would be Kenny Miller and Darren Fletcher. Yeah, that's two of mine struck off the list. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You're only getting three, so we're going McFadden, Miller, Fletcher. We'll just make that. I'm going to, I'm going to chuck in Maloney in there for me because he's my favourite Scotland player. Fair enough. I was going to throw in, uh, and he's actually still playing, uh, Alan McGregor. Oh, yeah. Although we have outstanding goalkeepers. I think Alan McGregor's the best of the lot right now. Mm, he's yeah. just been immense for Rangers. I, th- I think he he is, would probably be our number one. Mm-hmm. You reckon yeah. ahead of Marshall even? That's that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I, do you know what I found quite interesting when Craig Gordon was starting is looking at the, the kind of contrast, because obviously we've been really blessed to have three world-class goalkeepers, or, or virgin on world-class goalkeepers anyway, and at times I think they've all hit that level in some way or another. Uh, I think it's, it's nice to see, and it was lovely to see some of the comments as well um, from Craig Gordon, I think it was, after Marshall was obviously the penalty hero and stuff, and he's like, yeah, well, he's waited his turn, you know, because... For years, Gordon was the pick, and then it was McGregor, you know, and and Marshall's getting his his chance again now, and it's it's nice to see them all have that. But when Craig Gordon was playing, I found it quite interesting to see the kind of contrasting uh, abilities, and because Craig Gordon's always a deceptively good shot stopper with his big frame, but sometimes he'll be sort of caught flat-footed, and David Marshall's kind of moving quick. Then again, I still think positioning-wise, there's there's kind of different idiosyncrasies about the way they both go about their business. So I, I, I still that, think it's two good keepers. What I find really interesting is, and it's probably more of a historical thing that the English used to, that there was a joke about Scottish goalies. And then you mm-hmm. think of, of what we've had in our time growing up. Well, you know, you had Leighton versus Gorham. And then, and then you've had these three, you've got, you know, Marshall, Gordon, and McGregor, I would take those three over the trio of Dean Henderson, Sam Johnson, and Jordan Pickford. I think yeah. all three of them are better. Yep, I totally agree. And anyone that's English and watching this, 
Um, let us know if you disagree. But I, I, I would definitely do that. Um, Nick Miller asks, would you like to see more friendly games with England or maybe the, the, the British sort of trophy and the, the home internationals brought back? Uh, no. no, not really. I uh, I like my foreign trips too much and going down to England doesn't excite me as much. Yeah. Going to Wales doesn't excite me as much. I like going to far-flung places that I've got to get planes, trains and automobiles and the back of a horse to get to the stadium. I That'll also do for me. quite enjoy the rivalry when we play specifically Republic of Ireland and England. Um, and I, I don't want that to be diluted with constant fixtures. I, I quite like the fact that I had to wait 13 years of my life for one. Uh, yeah. And then a few a few came along at once. But um, like when we were drawing England in the qualifiers a few years ago, that was, oh, wow, an amazing Pardon. feeling to draw them. And I wouldn't want to have that um, emotion taken away by knowing, oh, well, we're playing them again next year. Sort and of if thing. we just if we just held out, because the way that Lee Griffiths played chicken with Joe Hart, will live in my memory forever. Yeah. So right. that was four, four years ago today. Was it? No. Oh, what timing for the first Tartan Daily. Brilliant. <laughs> um, best player you have seen in a Scotland shirt, lads? Hmm. Thanks for the question, Adam. Uh, I will see well the, the chin stroke without chin stroking. Um, probably probably uh, for the maverick moments would be McFadden, probably. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah ability-wise then. And maybe, I see it's hard because ability-wise, you know, when he's you know, playing at his absolute peak, it's obviously McFadden. I mean, he's Lionel Messi in another universe. As I see. If you want to, see if you want to make it, Hodge, if you want to make it relative and talk about career span and impact on a team. Yes. Anya. I'm not saying that he's the best player that Scotland, but for the, for the three or four years that he was in the team and then disappeared, he had a massive impact and he wow. was brilliant. That's that's a left field selection. Yeah. I will say that, but I really like your your thinking behind it. I think if you look at uh, gravitas of of career that they've had, Darren Fletcher, mm-hmm. because I mean was an absolute pivotal figure in some brilliant Man United teams. Had it not been for obviously his issues with his, his sort of stomach and things, I think he would have had an even better career than he did, and it was still a glittering career that he had. And you could tell he was one of those people that, without being forceful or bullshit about it, he just commanded respect in any dressing room he was in, including a Man United dressing room that was full of leaders. So there was a, there was a good spell where he was, he was Fergie's go-to guy. Yeah. Big games. Exactly. He was he was the one that almost first name in the team sheet in the, in a squad of of that type of quality. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Fletcher. You, you, I mean, if you're looking at over, because we're talking about the last 25 years type thing, how many, have we had any world-class players? Mm-hmm. And and you, Fletcher sort of, maybe. McFadden in his moments, yes. Robertson, I think, is. Um, mm-hmm. Gary McAllister, I think, uh, in his time, absolutely. Uh, See, I Boyce. must admit there's a bit of recency bias with mine. Yeah, yeah, it's it's players that I've properly engaged with our journey. Yeah. you know. Yeah, and Ikechi Anya's a it's a brilliant one to bring up, Andy, because it was just I mean during that period he was so important for Scotland, and you, again he was one of those where 
it was these moments for Scotland that you really, really sort of remember as yeah. as kind of kind of key. He um, scored, he scored, he scored the goal against Germany, obviously, which is his yep. his big one. But the we we would not have scored that goal again, and we we've been singing his praises throughout half of the podcast. But against Slovakia, Scuttle's own goal, Tierney wouldn't have made that assist on the right side. If Anya hadn't replaced him, there's no way that we're in that position to cut the ball back because Tierney, when he was playing right back, he was always very hesitant to go over the the, the halfway line, really. And Strachan recognised that and thought, right, we need to get into their final third. On comes Anya and we get a goal. I've accidentally hit the mute button. Best and worst Scotland shirts, including away. Last question from Nick Muller that we're going to bring up. What's your, your favourite Scotland top? I know my favourite. And it's the Tartan Euro 96 shirt. And the worst one was the orangey, pinky, I'm not sure whereabouts in a Dulux colour chart. Oh, for me, the, the best and the worst one is the orange, purple, white, jaggy one. <laughs> right. So I'm talking about that. It was the kind of, I don't know, with peach maybe? And oh, it was, it was like, salmon. Kind of, salmon. Salmon one. Salmon. Right. There we go. Um, aye, so that that's that's definitely the gads like. No, you don't like that, no? No, no, I didn't I like that one. I didn't, I didn't like, didn't like, I, I didn't really like the the two two recent away ones, the neon pink one and the white one with the stripes across it. I wasn't really fussed on either of them. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I never like a pin because I mean it's easy to pick the away ones. I never like a pinstripe top, and I remember the one. Uh, uh. The, the player that I remember in it was Kenny Miller and maybe Kenneth oh, Kyle. Yeah, it was just, just Navy with, with I remember. Feel it was a feel like it. Feel like I bet he votes special. Um, yeah. No, do you know what? Do you know what was amazing about that, Rory? Like, I was like pinstripe and I'm thinking to myself, what pinstripe? Then you said Kenny Miller. I pictured it. <laughs> like, and he I, scored, I think he scored, he scored against Italy or Germany in that kit. I think Germany. I think. Oh, you know I what? think I, you're right. Always, it's the Germany yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. I always yeah. argue, right? I always argue that one of the hardest games of probably the best centre back pairing I've seen in my life, Fabio Cannavaro and Alessandro Nesta, they never got a moment's peace in that game at Hamden. He was absolutely amazing in that game, Kenny Miller. Yeah. And I'll, I'll always remember that. Right. Last thing it we're was, going it to was do. the same in that Germany game that you mentioned as well. Yeah. I can't and, remember and who that, was the for Germany in that game, but he ran them ragged. He lifted it against the bigger teams. Like he, yeah. he absolutely did. And big game player, Camilla. Yeah, he should, he should yeah. be remembered very, very well by Scotland fans. Scored yeah. an amazing yeah. goal when I watched Scotland at Wembley the, the last time I was. Oh, I, oh yeah. Turn and hit. Yeah, what a goal that was. Ricky Lambert, I think, scored for England as well. Yeah. So another noteworthy uh, thing about that game. Right, last thing we're going to do, gents, is some predictions. Um, and just, just Scotland-based, really. Uh, so first thing I'm going to get you to do is, can you please predict the 11? Um, thank you very much, John Bleasdale. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. Obviously, I dandied on. Um, first 11 for the first game. What, what was he going to go with? Just to, to aid you in your quest, I'll bring up the squad list again, gents. So we'll go with you, Andy, first. What do you expect the the first 11 to be? Marshall, Henry, Hanley, Tierney, Robertson, O'Donnell, McTominay, McGregor, McGinn, Adams, Dykes. Cool. Concurring, Rory? Yep. That's exactly what I've got. Yep, that's fine. Easy. Uh, 
Points tally. What are we going to get in the group? Five. Four. Four. Five. Who I take it we're beating the Czechs then. Uh, no, we're 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 drawing with the Czechs and the and Croatia. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I so hope you're right. Uh, so, the, what are the actual results going to be then, gents? Like, and I'm talking scores. I I, I think uh, that we will beat the Czech Republic one nil. Mm-hmm. Proper Steve Clark scoreline. I like it. Yeah. I I cannot see it being a high scoring game at all. I can't see any of our games being high scoring. To be honest. Uh, England, uh, I'm going to say that England will beat us, sadly. Uh, I think that their front three are just mind-blowing, um, and I'm not sure we'll be able to keep them out. So I'm going to go that England will beat us 2-0, and I Ooh. think we will draw one each with the Croats. Fair enough. So that gives us a goal difference, a minus one, interestingly. But four points. But four points. Rory? Hey. So I'm sticking to my five points. I do actually think the win will come against uh, the Czech Republic. So right, I'm going to go two one, two one in that game, uh, one all at Wembley, and one all against uh, Croatia. Run that by me again, sorry. Sorry, two one against the Czechs. Mm-hmm. One one at Wembley, and one and then one again. one one against Croatia. Right. So I'm going to go that we are going to beat the Czech Republic by two goals to nil. We are going to get beat by England by two goals to one. And we are going to oh, draw now now with Croatia or lose late. <laughs> <laughs> like it's one of the two. Um but yeah, that, that that's the way I think the, the kind of denouement of the group will go. Um last one is uh, who are who are the scorers gonna be and how many goals are they gonna get? So if you if you think back to your results. What he's reckoning in terms of scorers and um, like goal tally, or if it's easier, just pick a top scorer and number of goals. I think Adam goes for us. Yeah, me too. And I think John McGinn has 50. to. Yeah, McGinn with two. Well, I think will be our top scorer. Yeah, that's exactly what I've I've kind of got for that. Excellent. Right. Last thing then is, gents, um, just tell us where uh, people can, can find you guys and the kind of work you're going to be doing throughout the tournament. So feel free to plug social media things and, and stuff if you wish at this point. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll be doing the commentary on STV uh, with Kevin Gallagher as co-commentary. That's on games two and three, so England and Croatia. And if you want to send me abuse, then you can on at Rory Hamilton on Twitter. People are always remarkably don't. nice to you, I've noticed on Twitter. I know. Like, I, I, I don't you have a nice bad, positive so. engagement on there. No, not everyone let's, does. let's keep it that way. <laughs> That's all right. I'm, I'm sure the whole England and, and the Gammon Brigade will be after you if, you, if we win. <laughs> um, Andy, what about yourself, mate? Yeah, just the one game for me. I'm doing England against Scotland on Talk Sport next Friday. Still feels a bit weird saying that, to be honest. Um, so they're splitting the frequency with the choice of listening to the English fellas. It's Jim Proudfoot and Stuart Pierce. And then if anyone wants to listen to myself and Paul Dickoff and Talk Sport 2 with a Scottish slant on the commentary, then they can. I've 
done commentary with a former Leicester legend that played for Scotland myself, but that was Matt Elliott, <laughs> not uh, not Paul Dickov. And obviously, you've got the the Hamden Roar and your and your handle. And um, tell mm. people about the podcast and what you're doing with that, mate. Yeah, Hamden Roar started uh, a few years ago now, uh, with the sole purpose and intention of interviewing former Scotland players and managers about their international days. No club chat or anything, just pure Scotland. Still do that from time to time. Recently this year, I've interviewed uh, Davy Weir, Stuart McCall, uh, Darren Jackson, some really good guests. But now intertwined with that, on uh, probably a monthly basis, depending on when we've got games coming up, I'll do squad discussions, reviews like this, and previews of of games coming up, and and talking about the flashpoints and the the talking points and whatever. So, yeah, um, we've got a good wee pool now of contributors. Uh, Rory's been on it as well, uh, talking about his Scotland memories growing up that we touched on at the start and a lot more. And yeah, it's just a, a great wee hobby to have because I felt there was that there was no real just purely Scotland focused podcasts totally or right. content out there. Yeah. So yeah, it does okay. Aye, no, it's uh, the John Bleasdale then saying uh Hamden Rose a tremendous podcast. Recommend it. So um thanks to anyone as well. Uh, yeah. I've got some the breaking news. Oh, on the SPFL, the SPFL has a new title sponsor. Oh, five-year oh. deal with Kinch. Chinch. I, I don't know what it is. UK's fastest-growing online used car marketplace. Okay. Um, well, oh. it just it, it screams out Hollywood. That's what I'll say. <laughs> um, so, aye, no, that's good. Uh, I obviously, like if we were going into sort of club stuff and, and Scottish stuff, we'd yeah. talk about Celtic's new boss. But this is a Scotland podcast. It's the Tartan Daily, not the Scottish Fitba All In Daily. But um, listen, gents, thank you very much for joining me today. It's what a way to open up the Tartan Daily. But that's that's it for now. You can subscribe to the podcast on all your favourite podcast platforms as well as on YouTube. If any of you guys who have watched the stream today have come and migrated because you, you like Andy or you like Rory and you like their content, then I hope you do with myself as well. So you can find me at Hodgey the Hack. That's H-O-D-G-E-Y the Hack on all social media channels. If you can give me or the podcast a wee follow or a wee like, regardless of the platform you're listening on, that would be much appreciated. And if you're among the fraternity watching live on Facebook or YouTube, then hit the wee bell for a reminder of when I'm going live with a new stream, which will, of course, be tomorrow because this is the Tartan Daily and I'm going to do them every day until we go out. That's my promise to you. So I've got a good idea for tomorrow's episode. If it comes off, I'll be buzzing and uh, hopefully you will be too. But yes, make sure and share this episode if you enjoyed it, please, and use hashtag the Tartan Daily to do so if you're doing it on socials, because then people can find them easily. So thank you to everyone who's watched live today and to anyone who listens in subsequently on the podcast. Stay safe and let's gear up for next week. Remember as well, no Scotland, no party. <laughs>